Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the leader in waterfowl conservation with over 16 million acres of habitat conserved. DU supporters and volunteers have led the charge to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. You too can play a role in leaving a legacy for the future of waterfowl hunting. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org volunteer. Ducks Unlimited. Conservation for a continent. Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey guys, it's Brent Birch and Kaysen Short back again with another episode of The Standard Sportsman. We appreciate you tuning in and, of course, appreciate all of our sponsors for backing us and supporting what we've got going we're really excited about some of the some of the things we've got coming up and i know we're both super jazzed about our uh, our guy today uh just because he a lot of his thought process and things align with a lot of a lot of things we discuss on the show and uh, a lot of things case and i believe so case and i'll hand it over to you and let you introduce our guy the standard sportsman podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors waterfowl hunters deserve to have a set of waders that can excel year in and year out throughout the duration of the season so sika gear set out to build the best pair of waders ever constructed from gore-tex pro laminate the face fabric offers added durability and is breathable in active working conditions while completely sealing out the elements importantly they proudly stand behind all of their delta zip waiter features with their 100 percent serviceable guarantee and I'm speaking from experience as I have sent my original pair of Sika waders from the 2018 season back twice without a hiccup. Engineered to outwork, outlast, and outhunt everything else in the market, the Delta Zip waiter from Sika Gear is the gold standard for reliability. The Chatham jacket from Tom Beckby features a durable, weatherproof 8-ounce wax shelter cloth shell that develops a great-looking patina with use. I've actually worn this jacket the last couple of seasons and appreciate the shorter cut to it so it fits great inside my waders. It's also a really good weight for most Arkansas days of field. So if you like to mix a little vintage look with your technical gear waders, this is the jacket. You can find the jacket online at tombeckby.com. You can also find it in their brick and mortar locations in Wilson, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, and the new store in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, we've got a really cool guest joining us today, Robbie Kroger of Blood Origins. And I've been familiar with with the product and, and some of the stuff they've put out over the years. Very interesting. Uh, had a chance to listen to you on a podcast recently and was completely captivated with your story and really the mission of Blood Origins. So wanted to get you on here and talk about it because I really feel like what you're doing across hunting in general aligns very well with with our goal here, especially in the waterfowl space. So, uh, Robbie, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. No, you're welcome, guys. Uh, humbled to be here. I'm always humbled and grateful to be able to talk a little bit about what we're doing at Blood Origins. And essentially, you know, I feel like, as I told you before we got on this, I've been on the road probably 40 days already in 2024 through the convention season. And now I've got three and a half weeks at home, thankfully. But 
the message has been sort of loud and clear back to us like man you guys are doing a lot and you guys are everywhere and that's where we want to be and i feel like we've just scratched the surface like with the tip of an iceberg you have not seen what's coming yet you know 2023 was a training wheels year for us 2024 is going to be yeah we just want to we want to keep doing what we do and that is really changing the narrative around hunting and hunters for the hunting community yes but mainly for the non-hunting community to explain you know truthfully who we are yeah well, well that's a that's a super cool but before we jump into the blood origin story and people are obviously going to recognize a little bit of an accent uh, even though you're living in memphis you know the memphis area but uh maybe maybe a quick little background on on you and how you arrived uh, in the States. Uh, I know you got a, a biologist background and some other things. So uh, a little time in Mississippi State and some things like that. So kind of tie all that together and then and then we can jump into, you know, what what that change in the narrative uh, mission is. Brent, you don't recognize a South Mississippi accent here? <laughs> it's a little strong, I guess. <laughs> well, you can imagine how strong my accent was when I arrived in Oxford, Mississippi in 2003. Um, uh, so being in America for 21 years now, uh, proud to be an American today. Uh, married a girl from Memphis, Tennessee. That's why we're in Memphis now. Um, have two little savages, Leo and Eli. Um, both love to trap. I don't get to hunt with them very much um, just because of my travel schedule and whatnot, but we're trying to figure that out from a balanced perspective. But yeah, originally from South Africa, uh, did all of my education, most of my education in South Africa. I uh, have a degree in environmental conservation biology, then have an honors and master's degree in wetland ecology, and um, then moved to the States, to Ole Miss, to University of Mississippi to do my PhD. So a lot of your listeners are probably from the South and they're like, they're cheering to say, uh, yeah, the guy went to the University of Mississippi, got his PhD, which is true. Uh, my first season in Mississippi was Eli Manning's last. So that was my introduction to American football was 2003 okay. Ole Miss football season. And then I, my first job out the gate was at Mississippi State. So I crossed the border essentially, and went and worked for the uh, the opposition. Uh, but it fit me more because it's the Land Grant Institute of Mississippi. It's very agricultural. It's very tied in with the outdoors. And so, yeah, I have a PhD in aquatic biogeochemistry and wetland ecology. Um, I've, I've worked in the restoration ecology space for the last, essentially, my entire career here in the States for 21 years. Um, just, you know, overall, just re general restoration ecologist, general conservationist, didn't have a hunting background when I came to the United States, um, and now are, you know, through Blood Origins and what we've built, which was this just this crazy idea of like, when we first started, this crazy idea of just like, oh, we just don't know what we're going to become. We, you know, maybe we should become a hunting show or something like that, and well, the hunting show should be about telling the heart of a hunter's story so a will primo so jim shockey but then also like just absolutely blue-collared people like um like joanna out of minnesota who came to hunting late and is an adoptee a south korean adoptee to a single mother in minnesota and we just wanted to tell those stories we didn't have i had really no idea of what we were going to do and what we were going to become and 
I'm so fortunate to see and be able to like steer this ship now of like this evolving narrative of being able to almost be the spear tip in the social media space for championing a hunter's heart and championing what hunting is doing for people, for wildlife, for communities all around the world. So yeah, my background is very much ecological conservation orientated. Um, and now I get to put that acumen behind a message for hunting. Well, I just want to point out that you said that Startable was a better fit for you than Oxford. <laughs> so that's really the only thing I took away from that whole conversation. Yeah, love you're not going to find a lot of not going to find a lot of Ole Miss love on this uh, this podcast. Oh, too funny, <laughs> too funny. No, I think that's awesome. Uh, and like I said, I was listening to you on another uh, podcast that you did, and I thought it was interesting how you're trying to reach non-hunters and, and Brent and I run into that some maybe just in the language that we use. Uh, I think the other day we, we put something on social media and we use the term harvest. Somebody from the state of Arkansas kind of took us to task over it about it. You know, it was hunting, it was killing. We don't have to, to use that or say that. I'm like, well, I come from an agricultural background to me, anything that we work on year round, invest in, and then reap the benefits of is harvest. That is kind of the culmination of conservation to me. And it's just a term that it's not a politically correct term. It's just what it is. So what, how do you, how do you reach the non hunters? How do you shift the narrative from killing and what we call pile picks in the waterfowl world? How do you tailor that? to reach those people. Cause that's really our sport is threatened. You know, there are very few of us that hunt. There are not that many gun. Like it, there's a number of people that are against what we're all trying to do. So how do you reach them? Yeah, it's a great question. And we get asked that a lot. Like, how are you reaching the non-hunting majority? Well, we're doing it very purposefully in that in the social media space, you can reach them. You can reach them because it's a pay to play audience. It's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, any other YouTube. All of these are pay-to-play platforms. It's, let's not joke about this. These are all privately held for-profit companies that you can pay to put your content in front of non-hunters. And I can guarantee you that there is not a single organization in this entire country or world from a hunting perspective that is paying those institutions, those companies, to put their content in front of non-hunters. We do. We pay every month to put our content in front of non-hunters. And we constantly see the, oh, wow, I never understood. Oh, wow, look at this. Random people coming out of the blue saying, yeah, hunting's good. Hunting's not bad. And they're not hunters. So that's one thing that we do. Secondly, I think it's just a general, and I'm seeing this sort of pervading through the social media world right now, the world that we engage in at least, is that we have a certain way about what we say, we have certain ways about what uh, we post, and we have certain ways about how we engage with people. And I think that that the, we've been called gentlemanly in our in our interactions with people. And I think that that gentlemanly interaction is very non-confrontational purposefully. 
and it's very educational, and it's very nuanced. And I think when you put those three things together, educational, non-confrontational, and nuanced, you get a, you get a product that is not often associated with hunting and hunters. And I think that's why sometimes, like you experience, Kaysen, you get a bit of pushback from hunters because they're like, oh, this is not what we're used to. This is not something we're comfortable with. And that's why they push back. And I think that, you know, the heart, let's just, we'll, let's just dive into the heart of the matter, which you saw. So the harvest versus kill language is something that comes up all the time. Unfortunately, in the hunting space, in the very, in the very sort of, I would say even, dare I say, the very right hunting space, they are like, oh, you're placating. Oh, you're a snowflake. Oh, you're a liberal. Oh, add whatever adjective, whatever descriptor you want to add. Typically, it's very, uh, you know, lots of <laughs> expletives, expletives tied to it. Um, and we shouldn't be able, we shouldn't have to change what we say. We shouldn't have to change what we want to post. The answer is yes, we should. And here's why. Rewind the clock 15 years, early 2000. We were doing exactly what we were doing today then. Sharing our pictures with our fellow hunters, uh, talking about our kills, talking about all these things, but there was no social media. You were doing it via text, you were doing it via mail, you were doing it via email. All of a sudden, this this gargantuan thing comes along called social media in 2005, 2006. And it is on an exponential rise today, still. And our communication style, which there's nothing wrong with, hasn't changed. But we're not now communicating any longer just with our buddy. We're communicating with the world. And if the world doesn't understand what we are doing, and they take it out of context and out of framing, and that uh, and that that person takes that and it has the ability to influence the thing that we love. Would you not want to change? Would you not want to change a word to? Because I don't see it as placating. I just see it as someone not understanding. Now. I can also get into semantics and say, you're right. We don't technically harvest an animal when we shoot it. We kill it. We end its life. That's true. But we also technically harvest the meat from that animal when it's dead. So they both work. They both are something that we can use. And so that's how I would approach it. That's how I see it. I think, you know, non-hunters... It's the 60% of the middle. We, we talk about 20% being anti, you could even call it 10% being anti, 10% being strong hunters, 80% in the middle. That 80%, I think, can be broken down, probably even split 40, 40. 40 that aren't sort of the, the sharpest tools in the shed, that won't get nuance, won't get the educational component. But there's a strong 40% that will. And that strong 40% is something that's malleable and that can be shaped towards being to perceiving hunting and hunters as positive, and that's going to shape and change legislation, policies, regulations, all the things that we want 
in the future because of what we've said, how we've said it, and the pictures we've posted. Yeah, and that's what's interesting to me too. Within and and I'm I'm a waterfowl hunter. I don't hunt deer. I don't hunt much anything else. Um, but you know, within our community, you know, so many of it, it so many of it's done without context. Um, you know, it's not even like a you know I hunted with a famous person or I hunted with you know my cousin that lives in South Africa. You know, something something unique. It's just a picture of a bunch of dead, dead animals, um, without context. And, and you're right. It's, it's, it's a different level of sharing. Um, and cause pile pictures and, and, and all that have been around forever and ever and ever, uh, as long as a camera operated. I mean, Casey and I both have collections of pictures of guys standing in front of dead ducks from a long time ago. So, sure. um, but I, 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 I question, or I, I, I want to believe that if we, if, if we understood more and and of the nuance and all that, that it it would help us even within our waterfowling community and, and probably, probably break down some walls that we have within our even our little subculture, um, just because of uh, that understanding of why we do it and and what we were doing and and those kind of things. Uh, I mean, are, are you seeing that as a is a part of it too. This is not even communicating the non-hunting community. I'm talking about making even the hunting community understand. Why do those guys post those pictures of 250 dead snow geese? No, you're right. It's, I, I think it's all tied to peer pressure, right? They see us, and I see that a lot. Like I see a lot more people talking the way we talk, interacting the way that we interact, posting photos you know, in the waterfowl space, in the turkey space or whatnot that have a lot of context to it like yes there's the pile of birds but there's also a bunch of sunset shots there's also a bunch of mallet breasts on the grill mixed in amongst that all which gives more context that gives more story that gives more narrative and i think that's just i think that comes with the territory i think we've got a new generation of hunters coming through that are social media savvy i think we've got um a lot of other things that are coming with social media, unfortunately, which is what we're talking about. Um, but there's a there is a, a peer a peer influence through the social media space that allows us to, to to sort of change these narratives, and that's what's happening. I'm seeing it. I see it every single day. I get tagged in it every single day. I I see people responding to bad posts explaining it and then just saying hey why don't you take a look at blood origins kind of thing and sort of we're getting again just the, the message is getting further and further and further out there um i will say this interestingly enough you, you talk about the 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 pile picks of waterfowl hunting i was i was asked to be i was the keynote speaker of of i think they call it third term of du where all the chapter presidents the student chapter presidents from all around the country come together in memphis tennessee and building that presentation, I was doing it was a presentation on social media and perceptions and narratives, all the things that you would think I would talk about. And I said this in the in the presentation, and it's worth saying here. I struggled to find bad pictures of waterfowl on Google. Struggled. Like I found like three of them, which is huge, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I think waterfowl, I don't think you guys are, you, you haven't had the storm hit you 
I think it's overinflated, but I think overall, based on what I could see through Google and Instagram, like I searched, I couldn't find anything. There's a very good message or trail happening already. Uh, there's not much left to be done, but if if things go south and people start doing some stupid stuff, um, certainly you guys are going to be targets next. Yeah, because I think people, I think it's more. Yeah, I don't get any pushback. I mean, I, every once in a while, somebody will say something about duck hunting in front of somebody that doesn't get it, doesn't understand it, and they'll kind of give me a funny look. But it's not definitely not confrontational. I, I see a lot of the confrontation with within our yes. waterfowl hunting community about yeah. you know people taking ducks and sticking them beak down in the gun barrel yep. and yep. Or, yep. or you know chomping them on the head as they as they end them uh, you know a cripple that kind of thing and I think I I see a lot of it more internal uh, which is which is kind of crazy we can't seem to all pull on the same end of the rope on just about anything um, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I was going to say, Brent. I think our struggle is more internal. And I think for those of us that that see it and are aware of it, maybe that's the concern is that if we can't align better, we're going to face a lot more outside pressure. Um, because there, I mean, there's definitely some unsavory things that that happen that you see. I saw a post the other day, uh, somebody running down a sandhill crane and tackling or punching i saw that same i saw that same video yeah and my first thought was why would you post that even if it happened why would you post it why would you video it that's there's nothing positive that's going to come from that yeah well that's just to my point that's a communication style that has happened for the last 30 years that hasn't changed i had this conversation with a uh, with a guy friend of mine that's a photographer videographer probably all know him and we were discussing impact shots in particular and discussion was you know i see no reason to post those online and his comment was well what's the difference i mean we're hunters y'all know it dies like i agree and and we're not trying to hide that fact but there's no reason to put that out for the world to see we know it we see it we hunt it's it's not helping our message anymore to publicize that aspect of it yeah, I think you're you're nailing something on the head there that it's what what you know what's what's the difference between hunting and hiking? The difference is we go and kill something. Mm-hmm. That's the point. That's the purpose, right? Same thing with duck hunting. The purpose of you going to hunt is to kill something. So. It, it, to show you killing something, <laughs> it's almost antithetical. It, does, it doesn't make it, you don't have to show it because that's the point of you hunting. So that's where, that's where we stand uh, is, I just don't think that, I just, don't, I don't, I'm not, a, I don't think we need to show kill shots. I think there's different ways. And I think a lot of people are doing this nowadays. There's lots of ways to show that you killed the animal. The kill shot really is there for the hunting community. And mm. the hunting community likes to see kill shots. I don't mind seeing kill shots. I'm a hunter. But I put a lens on if a non-hunter watched it, what do they, you know, what do they see? 
you know, when you see these hundred kill shot videos in a minute or 50 kill shots in a minute, hunters love it. Don't get me wrong. I like watching it, but does a non, when a non hunter watches it, what do they think? If they had no context at all, mm -hmm. they're going to think that we just like killing things. Yeah. And, and here's where, you know, things get a little controversial and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to shy away from controversies that, uh, um, I don't think, you know, we've done 78 blood origins episodes. We've done 77. This is my why episodes. I've never heard someone say, I like to hunt cause I like to, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast or not, but because I like <laughs> to kill shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've never heard it. I've had conversations with people that say, I love to kill. I love that part of it. And I said, mm, do you really? Yes, I absolutely do. It's like, okay, okay, okay. So when you go hunting, you kill the first thing that you see, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I wait and I see like 20, 25 things. And then I shoot something and I love killing that, 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 that one special thing. And I said, well, Technically, you don't love killing then. Because if you did, you would have mowed all 20 down that you saw. Well, that's illegal. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. You caught me. It's illegal. But you should have shot the first thing you saw at least then. Or the second or the third. You've got three things on your tag. Shoot them all. If you love killing, that's what you're about. But if it's not, if you didn't, hmm. Why do you think you hunted then? Was there something else that you loved about hunting beyond the kill? And so I think, you know, what I'm trying to get at here, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little, you know, hypocritical a little bit. Um, but it, it's make, I, I really enjoy conversations where I make people think. It's the same thing as like, you know, uh, you know, I know you guys are turkey, uh, big waterfowl hunters, but turkey hunters, like the fact that you can use TSS now and reach out to 80, 90 yards and people will say, well, that's unethical. Same thing as long range rifle shooting. You should be able, you should get that turkey into 20, 30 yards and kill it like we've always done in the past. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. So 80 yards is unethical. I'm just throwing something out there for turkey hunting. 90 yards. Yeah, that's too, un that's, that's too far. Okay, okay. What about 50? Is that too far? No, yeah, that's still too far. Okay. What about 40? No, no, 40 is fine. Hmm. What's the difference? Why would you make a line at 40 versus 50? And all I'm trying to do again here is, like, people have these, these narratives that they've built in their brains about what is ethical and what isn't. But when you probe it, when you push on it a little bit, it's not it, it it's 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 the house that was built on on sand versus on rocks there's no real like justification for someone's like this is what i believe in and this is why i believe in it and so i think a lot of the a lot of things that we do and you've seen us do and a lot of again a lot of things people are asking those difficult questions and saying man why do i believe what i believe and so, you know, from a from a duck hunting perspective, you know, why do you do what you do? Why do you love to duck hunt? Is it because 
you love being around people? Do you love the relationships? Do you love watching them put their landing gear down? And if you took a shot, that's amazing. If you didn't, that was just equally as amazing. Is it really the trigger pull and the the impact shot that that gets you off? Or is it much more than that? Or is it that plus? For over 30 years, Lyle Real Estate has been connecting land investors and outdoorsmen with sellers. Whether looking to invest in an income-producing farm or recreational land, the Lyle Real Estate team has the connections and the expertise to help. They work with tracts of all sizes and specialize in agricultural, timberland, and recreational properties. New listings are hitting the market almost weekly, so head on over to their website to learn more. www.lylerealestate.com Yeti. From the legendary hard coolers to the new barware series, Yeti has you covered. Or check out one of my favorite new products from them, the Loadout Series Go Box. Yeti. Built for the wild. Yeah, we see that. In case not kind of talk about it all the time privately we don't talk about it a ton on this show but you can label them purists or elitists uh you know that really pick people apart that do something a little bit different than that how they do it um uh, especially you know there's there's definitely a traditional duck hunting community there's definitely a new wave so to speak uh duck hunting community and then there's people all in between but uh you know, people looking down on, you know, taking a X number of yard shot, you know, a lot of times those shots are taken with, you know, ammo that's not going to knock that bird down. It's just going to hurt it, cripple it, die the next day in some other field. But, you know, can associate it with your, your turkey hunting an- analogy that uh, there's definitely a, a kind of a purist standpoint that people take and they, but they, Maybe really can't back it up. 100%. Well, sure. You you hear it all the time, you know, about the decoying birds. Like, oh, I only only shoot ducks that are their feet down in the decoys. Like, that, that's the way to do it. Well, passing shots have been a part of bird shooting before we, you know, forever. It, it's always been an aspect of bird shooting. So I suddenly probably drawing the line there. That, yeah, that's interesting, your, your analogy there. Um, it all comes down to personal preference. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched on something there, and I'm kind of maybe shift gears here a little bit. You talked about storytelling and how you tell that story. I found the the story of, of kind of the first maybe pilot episode that you guys shot. I, I thought that story was really interesting, how you, you pitched it and how you filmed it and how maybe revolutionary it was at the time. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about the the start of Blood Origins and how how you tell that story differently than than others? Yeah, you know, I again, I I didn't know what Blood Origins was going to become. I didn't know what I was getting involved in. I was very, very, very naive. But I did know, based on everything that I was seeing out of Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's Channel and all the hunting that I was watching, I was like, man, something's missing here. And what I felt was missing was like a very authentic representation of hunting. Not not disparaging at all to anything that was happening on, on TV at that point. Um, but I just, 
I just felt like we could do something different. And at the time, my wife and I were teaching Sunday school in Starkville, and I was using a Christian testimonial video project called I Am Second. Have either of you watched an I Am Second? No, huh? I have not. Okay. Do yourself a favor. Tonight, just watch one. And I would recommend watching, watching Josh Hamilton's I Am Second. And what happens when you watch I Am Second is it's filmed very, very, very uniquely in that they do not quarter turn the chair in an interview. So if you watch every interview that's done typically in the outdoor space, actually people are changing now. Again, I think, I don't know if it's a part, I don't know if it's Blood Origins. I want to say it is, but there's a lot of interviews now that aren't quarter turns anymore. They're straight on the camera, which is, um, which makes it more engaging. It makes you like look at the person. If the person can really maintain eye contact with the camera, it makes it beautiful. So I am second, Josh Hamilton. He's looking at the camera. He's talking about addiction. He's talking about fighting the devil. And it's super emotional. It's super vulnerable. It's super authentic. It looks like they've got a hundred cameras around them with all the different shots that they have. And I was like, damn, imagine you could imagine a hunter talks about hunting that way. There's no B-roll or anything like that. It's just the person. And I still want to investigate that. I mean, B-roll is just sort of a common thing in the hunting space. But I, I, I do envision in the next two years me doing an interview where there's no B-roll. Um, and that's really what we started. So, And the other thing that comes with I Am Second is once you watch the Josh Hamilton piece, you're going to watch another one. And you're going to watch another one. You're going to watch another one. Because they're just so good. And I was like, man, we need something like that. And so I, I had a guy that was just sort of quitting his, his night shift job on the, on the paper mill. We were both absolutely green behind the ears. And I just had an idea of like what I want things to look like. And we just went ahead and, and filmed it how we thought it needed to be filmed. And uh, I showed it. We showed it to Will Primos because Lake Pickle was a videographer for Primos at the time. And he was our second episode. And he was like, yeah, no problems. I can get you a, a, a meeting with Will. And so we got a meeting with Will. And I remember sitting on the couch behind Will and he's watching the, his computer screen, his backs to me. So I can't see his facial expressions or anything like that. And when he finished watching it, he sort of spun around in his chair and looked at me. And his first, his first question to me was, how did you film that? And I, I didn't want to sort of give our secrets away. I was like, ah, don't worry. You know, it's just <laughs> something different. And I knew we had something. Jim Shockey had the same expression. Jim Shockey, when he first saw it, he was like, how did you film that? And uh, I knew we just had something. I just knew it was something different. And it's almost just sort of our style now. Our style is very detail-orientated. We call them littles. And so when I work with my teams, I say, make sure you're getting all the littles, which are the things that sort of give the piece depth. And that's what you'll see in an I Am Second film. It, there's littles around, like they're focusing on the finger tapping on the couch and you've got him picking his fingernails or the woman putting the hair behind her ear. And all that does is just add depth to the, poison, the person who's talking and emotion to the person who's talking. 
And so that's why we decided to take that track. Nobody else was there. Nobody else was doing it. And we decided to do it. And, you know, we've been criticized a lot for our style. Um, we've been criticized for being overly emotional. Uh, we've been criticized for being sort of vilifying hunters. But that's okay. Because I know that we've changed a lot of hearts and minds around who hunters are through the stories that we've told. And we're going to continue to do it. We've evolved and we've changed and we've got a couple of things that we've improved on. But this, this, the, the, the littles, the facing interview, the person staring you down the barrel of the camera is still very much um, in play in Blood Origins still six years later. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> what, uh, you know, you, you mentioned vilifying the hunter, um, but you're telling hunter stories. Um, kind of, maybe kind of elaborate on that. Why, why somebody would have that perspective? Um, it's the same reason why you got uh, taken to task about using harvest versus kill. Yeah. That's yeah. as simply as I can put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, as far as it relates to communicating to the non hunting community, you know, whether, you know, someone's introduced to blood origins and, and tries to grasp what's going on. Do you see any of the work you're doing relating to, legislation or things going on in dc or even at a at a state capital level because you know whether we like to believe it or not they have a lot of say so in in things that are hunting related or conservation related uh that impact you know future hunting success and and things like that so uh case and i went to dc last april so it's almost been a year ago uh with ducks unlimited to speak on programs related to conservation as how they fit into the farm bill. And some of the brooms we went into, those people were not hunters uh, that, that we were, we were visiting with. Of course, we, we met with several committees and subcommittees and chairmans of this that were directly related to wildlife or conservation. But we went in a couple of rooms. They didn't know what we were talking about um, or didn't have any concept of the hunting side of this. And what does this got to do with the farm bill? Um, are you seeing some of the work you're doing uh, being helpful on that level, on the, on the legislation level, uh, and reaching those people that are making decisions that affect hunting, but they're not hunters. You know, it's, here's the, here's the thing. We don't involve ourselves in, in politics, um, or policy or regulations. That's not our niche. That's not our lane. There are lots of really good people doing that work du sci dsc all the all the species specific people have lobbyists have legal teams working on their behalf in dc at the state sort of capital level we leave that to them but where we find that we have influence is in the educational awareness space and i'll give you a very very good example of that um, do you remember the Mahana WMA duck issue that happened last, gosh, two Novembers ago? Do you remember that? No, it's not ringing In a bell. Mississippi? Mm -mm. So the private landowner that was adjacent to Mahana WMA in the Delta was, was telling, telling the commission that they needed to create a 100-foot buffer into the public land 
because he was fearful and uh, of public land duck hunters um, causing danger on him on his private land. And so if uh, there's a lot of nuance here, but it all came down to if, if this actually passed, that the, the commission said, yes, we're going to grant a no hunting 100 foot buffer into a public WMA on the presence of a private landowner saying, I just don't want people up against my boundary. You can imagine the precedence that that would set for every single WMA across the across Mississippi. Yeah. And so all I did was created a video and expressed my uh, educated opinion on what would happen. Well, the commission has never received that many comments on a regulation, on a, on a suggested regulation change, ever, because of our video, and it never passed. So I, I use that example to say we don't involve ourselves in politics, we don't involve ourselves in on legislation or regulation, we're not in the lobbying game but we're in the education and awareness game. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting to think, you know, with, with such a focus on talk, talking or communicating to the non-hunting community that uh, they just play a lot bigger role than people realize in, in, uh, in our sport or sports, you know, plural 100%. hunting. Um, because they because they sure do um, and and how these dots connect with conservation organizations and dollars that are set aside for that and, and everything else so um, hopefully they hopefully run across more of your more of your stuff <laughs> <laughs> well we just you know we help so um you know there's another organization that we're almost tied hip to hip with which is how for wildlife how.org and how does those sort of letter campaigns into legislators, into senators, into um, you know representatives' email inboxes, and they have a significant sway, and they use our content to help educate the people that are sending emails. So we know where our, our place is, and we know sort of the, how best to use the information that we have to, as you said, the ultimate goal is to make sure that you know, regula regulations and legislation is passed that is hunter and hunting friendly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and you know, been able to, and I would assume, you know, some level of the effort is obviously just maybe shift how people that are, that are current hunters, um, how they see the, the sport and the activity, the, and understand the heritage and, and things that came before them and, and maybe inspire them to be, you know, inspire them to not, not be a better hunter. That's not the right word, but, you know, maybe accelerate their moves through the six stages of hunter or seven stages of hunter that, um, that people translate to. Does that ever come up in, in any of your discussions or, or methodology of, of trying to, maybe push people a little past the kill, 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 uh, to the, you know, when you get older, you kind of appreciate the experience more and all the things of those, those different stages. A little bit. Um, 
but that, that again, I don't, that's not really the the lane that we live in. You know, sure, there's obviously we've all been through it. We've all gone through the various stages of being a hunter, from killing your first animal to wanting to kill a lot of them to killing a big one to then sort of the stewardship, conservation, giving back kind of stage. And again, there's lots of good organizations out there um, that do that kind of work. So we we do again we'll 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 check around the edges of it and we'll dive in a little bit one or once or twice um but really our game is our game is shedding light on things that people aren't aware of as a result of hunting and really shedding a light on the heart of who hunters really are so if I remember correctly, you maybe didn't grow up hunting. You kind of chose that a little bit later in life. Is that correct? Yeah, I just, I grew up in Johannesburg, eight and a half million people. You know, we weren't exposed to hunting. Hunting wasn't a part of my friend circle. Though my family hunted back in the day, you know, my father hadn't hunted in. Mozambique closed its hunting in 74. So my father hadn't hunted in 20 years. You know, so I just, it wasn't a part of us and we didn't think of it. It was, we, I was the epitome of the person that I'm trying to talk to, which was, I didn't have an opinion on hunting. It was almost negligible. I'd never heard of hunting, didn't interact with hunting, none of it. Yeah, that's, uh, in your, re- you know, you, you have the, the reach back to Africa. Now, what I understand, because I've had some friends go over there and, and, and hunt, hunting is in Africa is not kind of for the regular guy, right? Um, honestly, I think that's a little bit of a misnomer. Um, okay. Because there are a phenomenal amount, what they call them is biltong hunters. So biltong is like, is the South African version of, of beef jerky. And so there's a phenomenal amount of biltong hunters in South Africa. And really all of the South African outfitters survived through COVID because of biltong hunting. They didn't get as much money for the animals, of course, because really what these guys are doing is they're shooting it for meat. They're shooting it for their barbecues and they're shooting it so that they can dry the meat for their jerky or what we call biltong. Um, the, to, what is cast out of the local hunter is the very expensive trophy animals, which is catering to an American market. So if a local hunter was interested in killing a buffalo, it's very difficult for him or her to kill one because the price of buffalo is between, I don't know, you could probably get a buffalo for $8,000, but the, the you know decent ones, good areas, you're looking t- $15,000, $17,000, $17, which multiplied by seventeen. To convert from US dollars to rands is a shit ton of money. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the disparity is that, yes, you know, hunting anywhere, <laughs> let's just say, let's be honest for a second, hunting anywhere that doesn't have a public land system like America does is probably, you know, the, the, the big animals, the best animals, the best areas is priced out for the local, you know, blue collared guy and gal. Yeah. Just it is what it is. Well, I mean, there, there's 
there's that attitude here, even with duck hunting. Uh, even oh, though we have pu- sure pub- public ground, uh, even though we have public <laughs> ground, but you can look at book. I mean, I have a book that the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission produced in the early 1950s. Okay, so pretty good long time ago, and there are several sentences in there that basically say, and one of them plainly says it that duck hunting is a rich man's game. Um, and so it's kind of interesting to hear that that's that that's taken place you know, elsewhere, but we see it. It's almost like a, a class system within our community and our sport that, uh, you know, I, I, I wish it didn't exist that way. It, it, yeah. There's going to be people that own really nice pieces of property that maybe their families own. Maybe they have done well in the business world and they bought it, but that shouldn't cause conflict for those that don't have it. Um, cause it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily be a need to be a have and a have not deal because for instance, our state does it, goes over and above to ensure that those that choose not to have private hunting ground and, or can't afford it because duck hunting land that's worth a darn is pretty dang expensive. So, um, you know, I would like, you know, within you were talking about communicating and, and building community, you know, with non-hunters, it almost, we got a lot of things to work out internal too, um, for sure. Look, I think it's something that happens all over the world. Um, I think there are, you know, private investments in areas that look after wildlife um, are seen as a class system and, and maybe appropriately so. Uh, but I think sometimes that class system a lot of people forget that it's doing probably the uh, a yeoman's effort, not probably it is doing a yeoman's effort for wildlife conservation in any form of of the resource, whether it's ducks, whether it's turkeys, whether it's whitetail, whether it's you know big trophy buffalo in South Africa or any other parts of Africa. Um, so again, that's uh, also a little bit tied in with you know issues that we have internal to the hunting community. Is one of the biggest things is jealousy, and jealousy really drives a lot of what you see on social media. I believe um, that if the if the shoe was put on the other foot of the person complaining about this person who has access to private or does X and Y that they you know feel like they can't afford. If the shoe was put on the other foot and they were in that position, would they not do it? <laughs> yeah. Great point. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, we had that quote come up yesterday. We were talking about uh, mud, motor, mud, mud motors, you know, the surface drive motors that are very loud, but allow hunters to get in places they couldn't get before because they can run in such shallow water. And I think one of the guys, there were two two you know, quote unquote experts that we had on there. And one of them made the comment that the only people that really complain about mud motors are the people that don't have them. So it was kind of the same, <laughs> same logic. If they had one, they wouldn't, they think they were the greatest thing ever and wouldn't be, uh, you know, lobbying for a ban on them, uh, and everything else because, uh, they are handy, no doubt about that. But, um, do you have, let me ask you this. Do you have any, any, or any of the blood origin stories out now, or even related to duck hunting that that our audience, you know, you could point them to and heck yes, yeah, we've got two really really good ones. Um, so we've done one episode uh, with a guy with a guy called Joey Gauthier out of Louisiana, 
uh, really very religious. Uh, you know, he's a, I wouldn't even call him a pastor. He, but he goes around and he gives testimony about duck hunting and what it's done for him because we literally went to the tree in Panther Swamp in Mississippi that he gave his life over to Christ on. Um, super emotional episode. I can't remember what number it is, but G A U T I E R is the episode. Joey Gosher. You just have to type it into Google. Here, let me just do it right now. See if I can find it. Um, let's see. Come on. Yeah. Number seven, actually. And it's titled passion. Um, so that's one that I would definitely, um, point you in the direction of, and then probably our biggest duck hunting piece that we've done thus far is called uncharted waters. And, um, you can find it if you just type in uncharted waters, Uh, on Google, it says Uncharted Waters of Women of Waterfowl. And really what I wanted to do is is do a piece on three, four strong women and change sort of the perceptions around duck hunting being this like manly, big bearded, you know, face painting kind of narrative in which you've got these four women three of which are just badass, you know, duck hunters. Um, they're, sorry, don't get me wrong. All four of them are badass duck hunters. But three of them are really good callers, exceptionally good callers. And the one, Kim, I, I almost refer to her as me. So when I go duck hunting, if, if me, Brent, and Kaysen went duck hunting, I'd be the one not calling because I'm Kim. I don't know how to call nor am I going to show people that I call really badly because there are people with me that call really well. So let them do their jobs and I'm going to hunt. So Uncharted Waters, Woman of Waterfowl is really up. It, to me, it's it's one of the first like real documentaries that we got, got our teeth stuck into. It's a short documentary, um, but it's super powerful, filmed on public land in Arkansas. Um, so yeah, those are the two. And then obviously we had this one of the women out of that, two of the women out of that piece, Kim Jensen Rogers with Ren and Ivy and then Aston. Uh, she's now Ashton Mallet, uh, TJ Mallet's wife. We have Blood Origins episodes on both of those individuals as well. So a couple awesome. of duck hunting pieces in there. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, I, I would encourage our audience. I haven't gotten it far enough into your stuff to to run across those, but uh, definitely would encourage our audience to to check those out and get a better better grasp of of what you're doing and 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 what your mission is. Yeah, Ramsey Russell's also in there. Um, we've also done a Blood Origins episode on him. So yeah, we've got a couple of duck hunting pieces. And and look, don't feel bad in terms of you haven't gotten that deep into our content. We've got a lot of content. Out <laughs> yes, <there>. indeed, <laughs> indeed. But it's man, it's some awesome stuff. Appreciate you. Well, what what would be your message uh, from your blood origins perspective? What would be your message to the waterfowl community? Because I think we've kind of identified that it's more an internal issue than external. But mm. Brent and I both kind of feel like we have a a culture issue in our sport. Uh, so I'll ask you that. What would be your advice? Um, I don't think you have a culture issue. I think you've got, and here's here's what I was here's what I'm how I'm going to answer. 
I think you've just got a, th a thought issue. And it, I simply can boil it down to this. And this applies to all hunting, not just waterfowl hunting, but, you know, very, very much does sort of sit into the realm of what you do. If people just gave a little bit more thought to what they do, how they communicate, what they say, and what they post, we as a hunting community will be in a substantially better place. So let me break that down. We mentioned a video earlier, someone going out into the field and swatting a sandhill crane with a baseball bat or whatever they had, shotgun, butt of a shotgun or something like that. First thing, think, should I go do that? Is that a good thing to do? Or should I just, you know, do the decent thing and shoot it? Thought process number one. Thought process number two, should I video this? Probably not. Thought process number three, should I post it? Probably not. Thought process number four, completely wrong scenario to get into number four, but if I do post it, did I give the appropriate context and reasoning and education and awareness behind it? And then thought process number five is if someone comes at me, at us, for X, Y, Z reason, take it to heart and respond in the most gentlemanly way that you possibly can. If they called you every expletive under the sun, don't do the return. Just return and say, I very much appreciate your opinion, uh, but let me explain a little bit more behind what you're seeing and get into a dialogue and discussion. Because here's what the five thought processes just did. It just changed how someone from the outside looking in or someone inside looking around shapes what they see, what they do, how they act, what they say. And that becomes a little burning fire that just sort of starts simmering, becomes a sort of a raging fire in the future throughout the community because everyone's doing the same thing because you just have a little bit of thought in what what's going on so if the thought if the five thought processes are too much for you to handle just all you have to do is just simply think that's all i'd say think yeah. about your actions think about what you post mm -hmm. think about what you say and then think about what you say in your engaging of someone that comes onto your post and says something yeah that's a uh, sage advice for sure yeah <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's, it's really good advice. Um, I think that's kind of what social media has, has done, particularly in our segment of the sport is you, there's almost a, a competitiveness, you know, to engage in these, these likes or, or whatever your metric is. So you see a video that you view as successful and then you go out and emulate that to try to create the same success on your platform. So it all comes back to to what you said, the thought process there. Um, that's really, really good advice. And I can't do anything about someone 
So here's the other thing that's happening in social media, which you have to be aware of, is that people intentionally post. So for instance, that video about the, the with the Sandhill crane getting smacked in the head by a shotgun butt or baseball bat or whatnot, some people will intentionally post stuff like that because they know the negativity that comes with it because negativity drives engagement. If, if that's your thought process, then the, I can't do anything for you. We can't do anything for you. Because all you're really after is engagement. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And that's and, and you're right. Some of it is to to kind of poke the bear, so to speak. Uh, but some of it's just done for the for the likes or the attention, whatever it is. And then you you know you would think somebody would step back and go, "Man, I I probably shouldn't have posted that, or I probably shouldn't have gotten on that guy's deal." Um, you see it all the time, all the time with a, a newish hunter will post something that, um, you know, an experienced hunter would, would know, like would never even, that's not even a question for them, but it, you know, a genuine question about how they do something or should they get this particular piece of gear? And the, there's mm -hmm. dudes that come out of the woodwork to just hammer that person. Um, and it's that that that's just a head scratcher to me that why you would make fun of or pick that person apart, I guess because you have the vehicle, which is social media to do that. but uh, I mean, that's that is all too common. and it, it I'm sure it's common in other stuff too, but uh, I'm really only on social media because of because of duck hunting and um I just see it way too much, and it's kind of a head scratcher as to why that somebody would take that upon themselves to light somebody up like that <laughs> people do very strange things in the social media world that's true that's true yeah well what's up what's uh what's up next what's up next for blood origins well you got what's on calendar 2024 what's gonna happen okay well i won't i won't get into what we've got because it's a surprise right now um but we have something duck hunting related that's going to hit the waves airwaves in probably a month's time, um, not in this country, that's going to blow people's socks off. That's all I can say. I can I'll I'll tell you once the recording is stopped uh what it is. Um but okay. we've got that coming. We are loading up a new documentary into the film festival space right now. We've got several other big documentaries coming in 24, we've got new content series coming out. Um, we've got some good, some other ideas of how to sort of give more people more information around topics of interest. Yeah, we're just, as I said, I feel like we just scratched the surface a little bit in 2023. Um, and now we're really going to sort of start, um, uh, fluffing out our feathers, uh, excuse the pun, since this is a duck hunting related podcast and, um, <laughs> and really showcase what we can do in 2024 and, and really start flexing our muscles a little bit. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, because pe people do hunt ducks in other places besides lots of other places around the world, Arkansas and the United States. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll be uh, on the lookout for that for sure. Where can they find your content? How can they get involved? Yeah, just type in Blood Origins into any platform you want. Here's a cool story. Um, so I was watching the Super Bowl, and I don't know if you guys were watching the Super Bowl. One of the ads for the Super Bowl was for a new AI platform uh, through your phone called Copilot. 
by Microsoft. Do you remember seeing that ad? Yep. Yep. And so I went on to Copilot immediately. I downloaded it and I said, write a elephant narrative social media post on elephants as if Blood Origins was writing it. And uh, there was some sort of legalese back saying we can't assume someone's style or voice kind of thing. It was actually quite a good response. But then they give you other options for questions underneath it. And one of the questions is, what is Blood Origins? I was like, oh, let me ask the question. What is Blood Origins? And it came up with two bullets. And the first bullet was us, nonprofit, conveying the truth about hunting with our website. And then the second bullet was Blood Origins, the Witcher series, which is the thing that I'm battling on from an SEO perspective on Google. They they <laughs> they trump me to the top of the list. <laughs> um, but I trumped them on Copilot. So I'm confident to say if you just type in Blood Origins into any sort of social media platform, Google, whatever you want, you'll find this. Um you know, peruse our content, engage with us, send us ideas, send us stories. If you are an individual that loves what we do and feels like you want to get behind us, we have a supporters program, which is uh, essentially the cost, the cost of a cup of coffee a month. Uh, five bucks a month is the start, but you can give us as much as you want. Um, we'd love to have your support. And every month, since this is dropping uh, this month, I'll tell you that this month you could win a South African hunt for two hunters to South Africa if you just give us five bucks a month. Um, we also have a corporate conservation club. So if there's any brands or companies listening to us and they're like, man, we want to get involved. Um, we just had Boss Shot Shells come on board our corporate conservation club. So big props to them. Um, if you're a company, we'd love to have you on board. And, and one of the things that we really enjoy in terms of companies is I actually don't want companies in the outdoor space. I want farm equipment companies. I want insurance companies. I want stonemasons. And I have them. I have an insurance company in Arkansas. I have uh, a stonemason out of Kansas. I've got an engineering company out of New Zealand. Um, I want true blue-collared companies that people are like, man, we love to hunt. We'd love to get a tax-deductible donation, which everything that you do with us is. And uh, we want to we want to support you and do what you do, keep you doing what you're doing to the horizon. So that's how you can find us. That's how you can support us. Um, and we're not hard to find. So reach out if you have any questions. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. And what I meant to bring this up earlier in the show, and I didn't. But you know, from the conservation angle of Blood Origins, you're you're funding some projects uh, when you when you do. And I, I noticed you had one in Arkansas for black bear. Yep, we pumped um, not, and, about forty thousand dollars into Arkansas for black bear research. So yeah, yeah, we've got good direct conservation projects all over the world that we're funding. Um, and we just want to, you know, people ask me, they're like, "Well, as Blood Origins grows, what's going to happen? You're just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger." And I said, "Yeah, we're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, but we're not going to get bigger in terms of people. We may get maybe one more, two more full time people, but other than that, I want to get involved in." big conservation projects. I want to be involved in $5 million conservation projects. You know, let's, let's move a thousand bison around and relocate a thousand bison somewhere. Um, I don't see us bureaucratically getting bigger. I just see our impact in terms of the things that we do on the ground getting bigger. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, uh, yeah, to have a movement like this, you know, 
kind of in your head and see it come to fruition. It's got to be pretty satisfying and knowing you got a lot more room to grow, work to do, all of that. So, uh, man, hats well, off to you. It's a true American dream, my friend. It's a true yeah. American dream. Yeah, it has to be. has to be. Very cool. Well, Robbie, man, we appreciate you coming on the show and taking some time out. I know you've got a call coming up but with uh, your, your partners in Spain. That's so, right. So your, your global reach is 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 true, even though we're, you know, I'm two hours away from y'all and you and Casey are in the same town. So it's yeah, kind of wild. I need to go have lunch together when he's back in town. Yeah. yeah so it's kind of wild to think about all that. But, uh, man, seriously, we appreciate you taking your time and, and coming on here. And and hopefully, you know, this podcast reaches a few people and they go check out some of your stuff and start thinking about their why and and who they are as a hunter. And and we see some some shift in some of the things we talked about today. 100%. Thanks, boys. Yep. Thank All you. right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can check us out on at the Standard Sportsman on the social media and on the web at www.thestandardsportsman.com. We'll catch you next time. And thanks for listening. Light boots, the lightest pair of knee boots you're ever going to find. Weighed in at just 13 ounces each. Putting on a pair of light boots is truly a jaw-dropping experience.